this is Tyler. I'm Danny. And we're here for episode 56 of Fried Squirms. I'm excited today. I'm really excited. This movie, I mean, you can read the title of this episode. We're doing The Witch, and it was a recommendation from a friend. Shout out to Michelle. Yeah, thanks, Michelle. We promised to do it a long time ago and kept sort of putting it off. I mean, that honestly wasn't even going to be what we were going to do this week, but schedule just worked out that we ended up having to fall back on something and we're like well shit let's finally get around to doing the witch i'm so I'm fucking glad we did super stoked that we Holy finally did shit this is a good movie yeah and i can't wait to expel on the facts of why we like this movie so much first things first though before we get into the witch there's a couple things from this week firstly just yesterday mm, we got news. we shot the second episode of a side project yeah man that we're involved in (laughs) the guys that were involved on the shining episode by the way i love our shining episode to death so So much fun dude yeah i was thankful for the fact that patrick and riley decided to join us man yeah so patrick and riley our good friends we're all doing a little bit of a (laughs) web series yeah. Sort of tied to how we've all been making our living for the past few years <laughs> and oh. just sort of our, not necessarily the horror side of us, but a lot of our comedic influences and what we sort of get down on. Yeah. So there's a lot of influences that definitely shine throughout that series so far. I mean, I think this is best if you don't know what you're getting going into it. So I don't want to say too, too much about it other than it's going to be awkward. Definitely expect a lot of awkward and satire. (laughs) But we would very much appreciate it if you would go check out Jafar, J-A-F-R, Just a Friendly Reminder, on YouTube. We found that you should probably type in J-A-F-R space Just a Friendly Reminder. We'll be the first thing that pops up. Yeah, it's If you type in Just a Friendly Reminder, I don't know what pops up. And if you type in Just a J-A-F-R, Jafar, you end up getting a lot of, like... Arabic videos and things actually pertaining to where like that's actually a name instead of an acronym. acronym, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So (laughs) with that being said, man, yeah, we've got a tasty second episode. (laughs) Oh, we're both super excited about what just happened yesterday. Truly, truly magic for us. And we haven't even got to see the finished product yet. No, I mean, we were a product of it, but you're right. We have not seen the final product. We're super excited for it. We would really enjoy it if you'd go check out our first one, our second one, and as we go forward, because this project's only going to continue to grow as well. Though, to be honest, I also completely understand if people don't like it. That's okay. It's not meant for everybody. (laughs) It's uh, definitely not meant for everyone, and we're sorry if it ends up offending your sensibilities. Exactly. But for those who enjoy it, thank you. That was vague enough, right? I think so. I think so, without giving too much away. Shit, so what else? I did have just a couple little pieces of news that I found. Okay. Before we start getting into The Witch. One, we just sort of touched on a little bit. We mentioned The Shining, and when we were doing our Shining episode, Patrick sells us on reading Doctor Sleep, which I almost actually did this weekend. I almost bought it. I saw it on sale somewhere. But, amazing episode, one of my favorites to this day. He sells me really hard on that, and so that's why I almost did it this weekend. (laughs) Doctor Sleep has been optioned to be a movie. (laughs) Nice. And they just got a director. So Mike Flanagan, it currently looks like he's going to be the director for Doctor Sleep. 
his credits are Oculus, Hush, Ouija. He has touched on some Stephen King before with having done the recent adaptation of Gerald's Game. Oh, cool. I've heard some good things about that film. And I think he's going to be doing, before Dr. Sleep probably starts even, he's working and going to be putting out an adaptation of The Haunting of Hill House for Netflix. Wow. Which I love House on Haunted Hill. Yeah, dude. uh, Fuck yeah. Which is another adaptation, so... And I think he's going to be rewriting the script to what extent I don't know, but the script that's currently in was written by Akiva Goldsman, who this could go either way, because Akiva Goldsman is, I believe, award-winning? Yeah, he won the Academy Award for Best Adapted Screenplay for A Beautiful Mind. Oh, wow. Here's the other thing, though. Don't cast Spacey. He's also the sole writing credit, I believe, on Batman and Robin. Oh, well. If, <laughs> I'll put it this way. If A Beautiful Mind is in the indication of his progression of work, I think we'll be okay. But if he regresses back to Batman and Robin, maybe not so much. He's also done, like, I Am Legend. Okay. A Cinderella Man. Yeah, those are good films. So, I mean... Sounds like he might like Russell Crowe. Yeah. So that's the script we're starting with. Then Mike Flanagan's going to have his hands on it. I never watched like Ouija. I haven't either. I, there was Hush an has an interesting cover. I want to check out Hush at some point. But. My sister Colleen, shout out to Colleen, she's a big fan of Hush. She recommended that to us. You know, we'll eventually probably get down to it sometime in the future, but we'll see. But it looks like we're going to be getting a sequel to The Shining. That's going to be basically. awesome. Yeah, and it's kind of coincidental that, you know, we did The Shining and we brought that up. Well, Patrick did first and foremost so yeah that'll be interesting to see what happens and then the other thing just because we love talking about them because we're big fans of especially these two movies oh yeah um, it looks like the devil's reject sequel is set to begin filming in march yeah that's gonna be awesome man this is kind of related to rob zombie but not really is i had seen a still of the first shoot of the shape for this upcoming halloween so that's some exciting news too I still don't know how this is going to happen, considering the ending of Devil's Rejects. You know, that is going to be really interesting to see what he does. This sounds awkward, so I have a feeling this isn't going to be the final title, because it just it doesn't roll off the tongue very well. But currently, the working title seems to be The Devil's Rejects 2, 3 from Hell. Okay, we'll see what happens. <laughs> Two numbers in a row like that? Yeah, even. that might be a little too much. Yeah, I think they're going to have to rename it. They probably will. I hope so, for that sake. But we'll see. I mean, I'm excited to see what he does with it. I love the characters. So well, that's likewise. why I, that's why I wanted to bring it up, just because, I mean, with how badly we sucked off House of a Thousand Corpses. <laughs> well, you know, that's a good reason, because it's still our going top to, episode. I was going to say, it is our top listen to episode, so that also makes sense to bring you some news on something that apparently a lot of you like. Yeah. Hell and yeah. in that vein, I mean, before we jump into this all, I think we were both blown away this month. I don't oh want to get gosh. I don't want to get yeah. into hard numbers too much because that feels a little gauche, but this past month we've had almost double the amount of listens that we've had in any previous month, and so we just want to like thank all of you out there for tuning in. We've only been seeing growth since we've started doing this, and it's awesome. It is. It's very humbling, and it's it also makes me appreciate the fact that. What we do and the hours and effort we put into it is coming to fruition. So thank you to all those who listen to us and subscribe. 
I almost feel like I'm going to start tearing up just trying to find words. So I just want to leave it at like, thank you guys, because it feels awesome. It does. And it's so fun bringing you guys all this shit and just getting to talk about horror movies. With yeah, you, and so. we get to share in the community as well. So that's a big plus on our side. But on the flip side of that, like, now the bar has been raised, so you, you motherfuckers have to keep it up. Yeah, I mean, we'll keep pumping the episodes out if you still listen to us. We'll love you no matter what. I mean, yeah, that's the thing. It's going to be an unconditional love, but come on. Now your game's been stepped up. you got to keep it up. Let's, uh, you know, like, go make your grandma listen to us or something. Yeah, you know Granny's like, seen some old horror movies. Come on yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, She's not She'll that old. she get down on us. Like, let's pump these numbers even higher, people. Yeah. Anyway, enough of that. We're here to talk about The Witch. Mm, dude, yes. Super excited. I already told you, I feel like I'm going to end up talking a lot this episode. Cause I'm okay with that. There's something, much like last week with Scanners, I ended up just latching on to something in this. And hey, ooh, we'll, this we'll is, run with it. We're going to go somewhere with this. Awesome. But before that, we're going to talk about who went into this movie, who made it, a little bit of how. We're going to get into the guts and bolts. Guts and bolts. Guts and bolts. Guts and bolts. We all up in them. So, let's see. We started, already said, the movie's The Witch. Synopsis, I guess, right? Yeah, I think that's the perfect way to lead off. A Puritan family in New England gets terrorized by evil. Yeah. In this slow burn psychological thriller. Oh, man, yes. (laughs) Yeah, we're trying not to give too much away. Yeah, I think that's pretty good, right? Aside from that, maybe just the fact that it's set in, like, the 1600s? Oh, yeah. 17th this, century? Yeah, this period piece. Yes. <laughs> but aside from that, I think it's a perfect synopsis. Puritan family. Yeah. So it probably wouldn't hurt to have a little bit of knowledge going into this about that time period. No, probably not. Uh, let's see. However, it wasn't made in that time period. It was made in 20, what, 15? Yeah, 2015. Or, I mean, maybe made in 14, I guess. But you know what I mean. I know what you're like, saying. Put yeah. out in 15. But yeah, it's a film that is directed by Robert Eggers. He also wrote this film as well. So for a while, he tried to pitch an idea of a horror film. And he finally did a lot of research, specifically in New England, because that's where he's from. And there's a lot of old history associated with New England, in particular, the early settlers, in this case, Puritans, and the fact that there was a lot of witch hysteria going on around that time period. So he did a lot of research, came up with this story, and this is what we get. So some of his credits, he did a couple of shorts. He did The Tell Tale Heart, which is a Poe story. He did The Short Brothers, and he is slated for an upcoming Nosferatu remake. I remember seeing the headlines when that was announced, and I was like, oh, the gall, (laughs) remaking Nosferatu. Who is this motherfucker? And then it was like the witch director, and I hadn't seen it at the time. This was my first time watching it for the podcast. Likewise. But I'd heard a bunch of like critical acclaim for it. So I was like, okay, I'll hold off maybe judging it too harshly until I see the witch. Now I'm excited for it. I started thinking about that as well. And I won't divulge too much right now, but if he has an eye for time periods as much as he does for like maybe Nosferatu as he does in The Witch. We're in for a really good film. Yeah, this could be... I'm excited to see what he does with it. He definitely has an eye for detail. Everything about The Witch is detail-oriented. Wow, is it? Yeah. I mean, the look... Technically, this movie is crazy weird. Like, all the lighting is done... is Natural, Naturally, yeah. 
It's, the interiors are lit by candle. Except for in one scene with the raven where they had to use a flickering light bulb. That makes sense. Because the fire would have scared the raven. That makes perfect sense. But otherwise, it's all natural lighting. It's what they had where they were filming, basically. Yeah, and I often hear that that's a gripe with certain audiences was the lighting in the film. But knowing that fact that it was done intentionally adds to that whole atmosphere. And I think it was brilliantly done. And then to the language. Oh my gosh, yes. You had um, mentioned it off of air, how many thous and dusts and thighs and thines and these but used correctly yeah like most of the time when people use that shit they don't pay attention to how to actually use it and i don't know how to actually use it so i yeah i'm no expert either yeah i'm not an expert but then i'll read shit about it later (laughs) and you know somebody else will explain it and you realize like how wrong it was and you sort of giggle a little bit you're like i mean at least that's fun at least if you're into looking up minutiae details like that like we are oh (laughs) yeah you're talking to some certified nerds I mean, I don't know enough to catch it while it's going on. Likewise, yeah. But that's the thing. This one was, from what I understand, this one was done right. Oh, yeah. And it sounded right because it sounded different than when other people do it. It sounded, I don't want to say it sounded natural because it doesn't sound natural anymore. People don't fucking talk like that. No. But it all made sounds. Yeah, given, like I said, once again, the time period and how that language was spoken, you don't question it. It felt authentic. But you're right. Nobody talks like that now. And then unless you, maybe you're a Quaker or like a Mennonite and you're probably not listening anyway. <laughs> By that language, we mean English. But this is right. like, this is old school shit. Yeah. This is old. Well, I don't know. Maybe saying old English, but it is a form of old English. No, I mean, this that ain't even middle English. But yeah. <laughs> but uh, okay. So we've talked about Robert Eggers being our director and writer. Our cinematographer for this. trifling with it before. <clears throat> Cinematographer is Jaron Blaschke, and he's got some interesting credits, too. He's known for his work on The Fray, The Quantified Self, and Shimmering Lake. Those are a few of his credits. Knowing the work that he did in this film, I can honestly see him doing some other larger projects, because it was shot perfect. And the use of a different aspect ratio in this film, too was another one of those kind of daring moves. It wasn't mm-hmm. shot in, in a tradition. I can't remember the, like, one three three one. One of those aspect ratios. This one was done in a one six six one ratio, which makes the landscape look a lot taller, given the fact that this might be a little bit of a spoiler. It shouldn't be, but a lot of this is taken place on the outskirts of a forest or the woods. So it makes those scenes seem larger than they really are. I think it was a perfect way of incorporating that particular ratio into this film. I think it was a really bold move, to be honest, but it paid off. So with that being said, our editor on the film, too, is uh, Louise Ford. And she's done work on The Heart Machine, a film I really fucking enjoy. I'll go ahead and give it a lot of praise because I enjoy this film. It's called Don't Breathe, which I think maybe down the road we, you and I should cover. There's a work that she did with an actress we'll mention in a little while, a film called Thoroughbreds and a film called Wildlife. Our music on this film, which I'm really excited about the music, was and done so, by Mark Corbin. The music is incredibly important to this film. Holy shit. I don't think the tension in the atmosphere would have been possible without what Corvin Corvin brought to this. Wow. Thinking about a lot of the films that we've covered, and I know we talk a lot about how music has a huge effect on the direction a film can go in, especially the tone, it sets the atmosphere. So this one, I think, wow, it's supreme. It's up there with some of the better films we've done. 
Yeah. So from what I understand about it, first off, no electronic instruments, no. mostly strings and stuff. There's a lot of dissonance, but the director specifically gave Corvin the instruction that he wanted to sort of avoid like traditional melodies and stuff. And instead, the idea was far more improvisational within the scenes. Okay. And Corvin actually, I guess, I don't know how to best explain it, but sort of gave a little bit of space on weaving the music throughout the scenes so that instead of it being so tightly placed to like one thing or another, the director could actually move the score a little bit between the scene and get it to where he wanted it. Yeah. I'm excited about a couple of scenes in particular where the music's just like, wow, it's amazing. But some of the projects that Mark Corvin has worked on are films including The White Room, a film I really enjoy. is more sci-fi, The Cube. He's done work on The Twilight Zone, which was like the mid-80s version of it. And he's also known for his work on Guantanamo's Child, Omar Kadar. He's also done work on the television shows The Border and Man-O. So if you're familiar with some of those shows and films, you've probably heard some of his scores. Along with our music, we've got special effects. And this is a team I think you're really going to enjoy. They didn't have to do a whole lot of effects. Like practical effects were more used. than I mean, there were some you know CG for visual effects, of course. But this was done by Intelligent Creatures. They were responsible for the visual effects. Now, here's why I wanted to look at them. Because I don't necessarily do it a lot. But this company has worked on films such as Zack Snyder's Watchmen for which they designed Dave Gibbons' Rorschach. They've also done Darren Aronofsky's The Fountain and Alejandro Gonzalez Iñárritu's Stranger Than Fiction, Babel and Battle Los Angeles, and a little film called Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Oh, dude, I love Mr. and Mrs. Smith. With Bradolf <laughs> Pittler. <laughs> yeah, so they've done some really cool works, man. They've also done some stuff like Omega. They've done the BBC show Orphan Black, which is a really cool show. Transporter, the series, and Last Druid, Garmores. So they've done some really cool work, especially looking at some of their films. Like, wow, this is really cool. They've done some other horror films. I think they did Silent Hill. Oh, okay. It's one of them. Yeah, so they did some uh, really cool work, but I think they did a great job incorporating the effects into this film because I don't feel like it was overdone. I think it was just the right amount of, mm, you know. All right, our producers, there's quite a few. I won't name any of their works because we'd be on this forever. But Rodrigo Teixeira, <laughs> Daniel Beckerman, Lars Knudsen, Jody Redman, and Jay Van Hoy are producers on this film. Our production companies, there's quite a few. Parts and Labor, RT Features, Rook's Nest Entertainment, Code Red Productions, Scythia Films, Maiden Voyage Pictures, Mott Street Pictures, Pulse Films, and Very Special Projects, which I feel like you and I are already a part of. That's right. We are uh, very special. Yeah, we are, buddy. <laughs> Distributors. Now, this is a distribution company, man. They've been hitting some fucking home runs, and that's A24. 24. Good night, man. They were responsible for the 2015 USA theatrical release, which, when I look at that, doesn't make much sense because it only got a premiere at the Sundance Film Festival. I think they were more known for their 2016 re-release, which would make more sense. Elevation Pictures were responsible for the 2016 Canadian theatrical release, and Universal Pictures International, otherwise known as UPI, were responsible for the 2016 United Kingdom theatrical release. Our budget for this film 
had a very moderate budget between three and a half to four million. Yeah, that's what I saw it was four. So Yeah. The return now this is opening weekend, keep in mind, it made eight point eight million here in the United States and the gross was twenty five million in the States, but worldwide it made forty point four million. That's not including any DVD sales. That's just theatrical. So I'd imagine it's probably made a, quite a nice bump since it's been released. Our release date, I didn't mention, at the Sundance Film Festival was January 23rd, 2015. It got a United States and Canadian release on February 19th, 2016. And March 11th, 2016, in the United Kingdom and in Ireland. You know, I like my taglines. I've got two of them. Okay. One is actually kind of its subtitle. Oh, the, a New England folktale. Mm-hmm. It's like that's not. I mean, it kind of is a tagline, but not really, because it's already included in the, in the working title. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the second one makes a lot more sense, I think. Evil takes many forms. I like that one. Yeah. So that's both of our taglines. That kind of rounds out our behind the scenes. So this is our cast now. Very minimal cast. Yeah, which I very minimal like. movie. <laughs> it is. You don't have a large cast. The only time you ever see a large cast is the in the opening scene. That's it. Very beginning. Of the That's movie. not giving anything away. That's just what it is. So with that, I know the young lady gets the lead, but I want to talk about the parents first. Okay, parents first. So let's go with mom. Okay, mom is Kate Dickey. She plays Catherine. Some people might be familiar with her for a largely successful show on HBO currently. Yeah, so you all watch Game of Thrones, right? I would hope so. goddamn, I don't know how you're not with the kind of numbers that that fucking show brings um, I was hook, line, and sinker. Dude, I, I love me some Game of Thrones. Kate Dickey, you'll remember as Lissa Aaron. For reference, she is the breastfeeding aunt... <laughs> Yeah, she's the crazy aunt that little finger hucked out the moon door. Yeah, which that's fucking dope. Spoiler. So, oh yeah, Spoil- <laughs> that was a couple scenes. Yeah, that was yeah, several years ago. Dude, they're up to date on game. If they're watching I Game mean, of Thrones, some they're people. up to date on Game of Thrones. Yeah. Sorry, fucking Game of Thrones spoiler. Fuck you. Anyway, <laughs> sorry, Kate Dickey. All right, so she was on Game of Thrones. She's done some other really cool works. I like to go back word sometimes with a lot of actors because typically they'll get more current credits for the roles so some of the works that she has done is a film called red road i think that was kind of one of her first breakthroughs then she did the pillows of earth for tv she was recently in prometheus she's known for her work in the film filth she's also done a television series called the frankenstein chronicles she's on a show i know we've bumped shutter before i won't say it's not a show it's a movie on Shudder. It's called Prevenge. She stars in that. She was also recently in a little franchise called Star Wars, The Last Jedi. Yeah, she's what, a really bit part as a first officer or something? But she was in it. I gotta gotta say, she got her way in it. So those are some of the works that Kate Dickey is more well known for, and she does play the mother in this film. So then Dad... Oh, speaking of fucking Game of Thrones... Hello? (laughs) Dagmar Cleftjaw. Yep. Also known in, you know, the real world as uh, Ralph Innocent. Yeah. And his character's name in this film is William. He plays the father of the family. You did mention, of course, the big throw Game of Thrones. He was also in Guardians of the Galaxy. And, well, I mean... I've dude, got a lot of his credits, too. Dude, I mean, he's in, what, the last three Harry Potters? Yeah, I mean, if you're... As Amicus Caro. Yeah, if you happen to know what that franchise is, you've probably seen him there. You uh, might have seen him from the British version of The Office. Where he plays Chris Finch, 
who is basically the British Todd Packer. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how big of a part he had in it. I have seen it. It's been a long while, so I will admit that up front. But he was in a film with Richard Gere and Sir Sean Connery in First Night. Oh, dude. First Night's a great movie. I haven't, I haven't seen, seen it in a while. Long yeah. Time. He was also in a Johnny Depp film from Hell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, dude. I've got a couple of others. So he was in the show Peaky Blinders, which I. That's a great show, dude, if you haven't seen that one. He's also in the upcoming film Ready Player One, which I think is going to be a huge success at the box office. So there's been a lot of really wildly successful things that I guarantee you've probably seen him in at least one of these. Well. If you see him in this film, and then you go back and watch those others, I'm sure you can point him out. He's very distinguishable. Mm-hmm. Very tall gentleman, too, if I'm not mistaken, like 6'3", six, 6'4". Six, All right, so that rounds out our parents in this film. The young actress I was mentioning who gets the big draw in this film is Anya Taylor-Joy. She plays Thomason. Oh, Vampire Academy's Anya Taylor-Joy? You know it. <laughs> <laughs> now, there was a work I'd mentioned with our editor, Louise Ford. Anya was in the film Thoroughbreds that Louise edited. She's also known for her works on the television series Atlantis, a film called Morgan, another film, single title, named Barry. She was in the recent psychological film, horror film, Split. She's in the upcoming The New Mutants. Which I'm super excited for, and I'm super pissed that they pushed back the release date. You know who's in that film along with her? We mentioned Game of Thrones. It's not uh, any of yeah, the adults. Arya. Yeah. Maisie Williams. So there you go. She's Wolfsbane, if I remember. Or is my right on that? I think so. Anyway. I can't but remember. I know, but I know that Anya is uh, yep. Ilyana Rasputin. Otherwise known. as Magic, yeah, who is Colossus' little sister. Dope. Drop some nuggets on you. Alright, so she plays Thomas, and I didn't mention she's the eldest daughter in the family. Our eldest son in the family is Harvey Scrimshaw. He plays Caleb. He's only done two works that, well, yeah, two works that I can mention of note. One's called Oranges in Sunshine, and the other one is One on One. So those are two works that he's done that you might have seen him in. We have two young actors who play twins, fraternal twins in this film are Ellie Granger and Lucas Dawson. They play Mercy and Jonas. Ellie Granger was in Coronation Street in the Village television series, so you might have seen her in that. And this is Lucas Dawson's only credit to date. Okay. Yeah, so I don't want to give too much away. So, I mean, if you're going to have one credit, that's a good one to have. Oh, it definitely is. Uh, But as far as the kids go, they give her more things to do than him. Yeah. I (laughs) I know a lot of people are not fond of the twins in this film. But I think they did a good job of what they had to do. Okay. I mean, also considering for the youngest actors, how they all had to be directed. Because they have some very strange parts at times. Yes, they do. And Eggers made sure that they didn't have to understand what was going on. That's probably a good thing. They were directed in a way where it was not let them know and try to get into the character. It was like, we need you to... like. Look a little bit scared, and they give a big out, like a, a long sigh or something. Yeah. Like, well, that's good. I mean, it pays ode to the fact that he knew how to direct these kids. And for a certain scene with Caleb, oh my gosh, uh, yeah. he was actually directed by the father, Ralph Innocent. Ralph Innocent, yeah, yeah. yeah. Ralph Innocent actually sort of gave him direction through soccer analogies. Yeah. Mm hmm. I want to hear that. That's fucking funny. I can see it, though. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, hold on, I played soccer. I, I could see where he was going with that. 
That's fucking hilarious. If you've seen the movie, you immediately know what scene I'm talking about. Well, I do know. I mean, you're speaking of soccer or for our... Baseball, right? Well, hold on. For for our European audience, I want to say football. All right. Now, this is a a little piece of trivia. I love British soccer. Give it to me in baseball analogies. Second base. You just hit it, right, little kid? Ooh. (laughs) Ralph Innocent is actually, if, if those who even give a shit about what I'm about to mention, he's a big Leeds United supporter. Which is an English football club. So, if you support them, he's one of like their big spokespersons. So I think that's kind of neat. They had some great years of success, and then they kind of they're working their way back up. Is what I'm getting at. But anyhow, I can see the sports analogies. Is what I'm getting at. <laughs> All right. So there's a couple other credits. There's three other credits. I'll mention real briefly. The governor. I hope the, is I a big hope draw. I know who you're saving for last. Oh, probably. Okay. <laughs> I hope yeah. so. Well, there's actually four. Two women. Two men. The first man is our governor, which he's not in the film for very long. It's played by Julian Richings. Now, he's done some really fucking interesting works. The first one I'll mention is Naked Lunch, which we had mentioned on our last episode of The Fried Squirms with our episode of Scanners, because David Cronenberg wrote and directed Naked oh, Lunch. Oh, shit. I'm looking at his filmography right now. He's and got I was wondering why bass reco- films. I was wondering why it recognized I, I him even though recognize he him. was only in 15 seconds of this movie. Yeah, like, it's so brief that you probably wouldn't even recognize it. But you're right. His filmography is incredible. All right, so we talked about and Naked Lunch. And it's all really, really tiny roles. It really is. <laughs> but regardless, he gets them. Uh, he was in the film Mimic, the film Cube, which we just mentioned. Urban Legend. Yep. I love that movie. I think he spent some time in Toronto, so this would make sense why he's got a couple Canadian credits. Because I mentioned a long time ago in one of our previous episodes that there was a show I, I'd found in Canada called Puppets Who Kill, mm-hmm. which is fucking hilarious. It's about a group of reformed puppets like who acted or did stuff for children. Okay. And because of their wicked ways, they had to go to a halfway house to get reformed, and they're always up to no good. So anyhow... He was in that. He was in X-Men The Last Stand. He was also in a franchise that we've covered, too, with Saw. He was in Saw Part 4. He's in Percy Jackson and the Olympians, The Lightning Thief. He was also in the he television... Wrong turn. Yeah, he was in the television series War of the Worlds back in 89 through 90. And a actor I know we're going to mention on this show probably several times. We haven't mentioned him quite yet. But he was in an Edward Furlong movie called Detroit Rock City. I fucking love that movie. It's a great comedy. Oh, I was just about to mention that. I fucking love that movie. That movie's so good. So you're uh, right. I mean, and uh, he's in Shoot 'em Up. Damn. I thought that was a really fun movie. Yeah, I mean, this guy's been in all tons of stuff. So, I mean, credits to him. And he was in Hannibal. Oh, yeah. Fuck yeah. Let's see? Season three, he was the caged man. Was it like... Damn, for those who haven't seen it. Was it like when he was talking... When Will was in the cage next to him? No, I think okay. it, the guy that is the prisoner of what's her name that Hannibal left. Oh yeah, the yeah. Asian. Uh, yeah. Oh damn, damn. <laughs> yeah, I know we're geeking out, but damn, that's I didn't know that. That's pretty cool. Oh, and on a sh- little show that fucking there's a gigantic fandom for. He's been death since season five of Supernatural. Oh. Damn. <laughs> yeah, there's a reason why we're talking about this gentleman. Even though, he, like I said, he gets all of like 15 seconds on film. Okay. See, that was the thing. Like, I awesome. recognized him. He's in this movie for literally like 15 seconds. That's why seconds. it's fun kind of digging a little bit with some of these people. Even though they might have been in it for like 10 seconds, they still got some really cool credits to talk about. Okay. One of the ladies I want to talk about, which her name is super fitting for this part. Her name was Bathsheba Garnet. 
She plays the witch. She's the old witch in the film. Okay, now I looked up some of her works. We're going to mention a huge franchise. We've mentioned this gentleman before with R.L. Stein. She was in the Goosebumps television show oh, in 1996. Okay. She was also a part of the X-Files in an episode. She was in a film called P2, which is actually pretty decent. It has Rachel Nichols, who is in the remake of Inside, which we had covered. Oh, yeah. yeah. So she was also in Kenny vs. Spinney, a Canadian <laughs> comedy. God damn those guys. And she was also in a movie called Blindness. So she, she's done a few credits. You might have seen her in a few of those. Our other actress, this will run out all of the actresses, is Sarah Stevens, which she is some eye candy. She plays the young witch in this film. Okay. The only other work that she's known for was something called the Victoria's Secret Fashion Show. <laughs> I, I I don't know what that means. But anyhow, yeah, she's super babe. But uh, anywho, yeah, she plays a young witch. And our last actor in the film is Daniel Wahab Chaudhry. Oh, see, that's it's not... I'm just going to say the voice. Yeah. I probably butchered his name, though. Well, I was going to say the last credit that you need to give oh, okay, credit okay. to is Charlie. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I probably should have. Sorry, Charlie. Black Phillip is the best part of this movie. He is literally the goat. Greatest of all time. And uh, <laughs> the voice I just mentioned. No, uh, no, no. I'm sorry. Let's just not mention that. <laughs> okay, that's a just, good point. Yeah, I just know they're... Okay, I probably gave away too much. Anyway, this gentleman is a part of the film. That's all I mentioned. But you might have seen him in The Education of Junaid Kadri and The Expanse. So those are some of the works by Daniel. All right, so that rounds out our cast. That rounds out the people behind the scenes. Before uh, we get too much further, we need to give some warnings. Warnings. Satan. If you don't like the devil, you're not going to like this film. Oh my God, Satan. Hail Satan and Satan. A little bit of blood. Yeah, there's some blood. There's Not, too, little... not too much, really, uh, but like animal, like vivisection. Yeah, there's, there's some animal bits. You and I have talked about this before. None of that stuff affected me. A little bit of boobies. Yeah. Most of it's not actually sexy. No, maybe all of three or four seconds worth. There's a lot of just sort of like disturbing atmosphere, mostly. It certainly is. If you don't like maybe being confined, if you don't like being near the woods. Oh, and danger towards infants. That, that witchcraft. Be mentioned. You know, it is called the witch. Mm-hmm. But oh, yeah. yeah, if you don't like witchcraft. Although, I mean, I think Satan covers that. If you don't like the use of Old English, if you don't understand it, if you don't like... I would say tip, throw on subtitles going into this. Oh, dude, it makes such a big difference. It does. It totally makes a big difference. But yeah, I mean, outside of that, if you don't like time period pieces, you you might not like this. Yeah, if you don't like people dressed like the fucking pilgrims. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) which I got a cool story to share growing up because of that shit. But anywho, outside of that, that's about it. There's a little bit of violence, but not much. All right, good. Let's get to the fucking... How did that make you squeal? Because I really want to talk about this movie. Yeah, so with that, number 56. Let's talk about how this made us feel, how it made us squeal. Mm. Get into those spoilers. Get up in them guts. No, we just did the guts. We still gonna get in them. (laughs) How does that make you squeal? Time to squeal. Yeah. You see this shit? You see how I'm sort of like strapped in? I'm ready for this one. Yeah, you are, man. I'm I'm excited. I'm kind of loose right now. 
I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm ready to go. Fucking, I really, I ended up really, really liking this movie. Yeah, once again, shout out to Michelle. Great recommendation. I mean, I guess the first thing to say on how it made me squeal is Satan. Satan. Devil. Fucking, we've kind of touched on it a couple times. I think we both really, really like Satan movies. <laughs> Dude, that's one of those things, growing up, it really scared the shit out of me. Like, think about that, because... Not that I was raised in a very religious family. I mean, there was a little bit of that. But I was raised in a religious part of our country. Very religious part of our country. So, you know, the subject at a younger age spooked me a little bit. But now it's like, I've embraced the horns. Yeah, oh, fuck. We've pointed out in the past, a bit of a big fan of heavy metal. And metal and Satan kind of go hand in hand. (laughs) Yeah. No pun. So there's that. I've definitely mentioned that I was always the kid sort of hanging out in, like, the occult section, fucking folklore section of the fucking library. And so, like, witchcraft and Satan, that does it for me. Like, that's awesome. A well-done, like, satanic movie like this one is always very, like, weirdly ambiguous. And you have, you know, segments where the only explanation is, well, the devil... The devil did it. I guess, I mean, the devil is hanging out, so of course the fucking goat milk was blood. Yeah. So there's a lot of use of that, you know what I mean? As far as symbolism and metaphors, etc. I don't know if we've ever touched on the fact that growing up, I was, uh, like, churchy by choice. Oh, I was never by choice. Like, I was pretty heavily involved... I mean, I was Catholic, but most of my friends were Protestant, and I was actually heavily involved in both of our churches. <laughs> that's that's really unique. I was confirmed Catholic, very, like, not practicing now. Agnostic, I guess. I don't fucking know. Anyway. Right. Either way. Mostly, are mostly I make church. fun of it these days. Yeah. But then, like, even with, like, my Protestant friends, like, I helped them run, like, a Bible study at one hey. point, and would go to their, like, praise and worship services. Like, dude, at one point, I was all about Jesus. I mean, you know, there's good intentions with loving Jesus. And Uh, so there was some neat things. I was like, oh, motherfucker. Like, there's some weird... I was like, I I probably could have just done historical research and realized this was the case. But by catching what the father and son were talking about, I'm like, oh, they're Calvinists. (laughs) Yeah. Like, they believe in predetermination. And so, yeah, by the way... I want to go off on a little tangent on that. I'm okay with that. I know a little bit about the history as well. Because it might also help inform, like, how this family acts throughout this movie. Because it really helps. Because these people's. I mean, the movie makes it very apparent that their religion's a gigantic part of their life. Huge. It's the central part of their life. So, Calvinists, branch of Protestantism, not Catholics. Right, yeah. (laughs) It's funny how, even though. Catholics and Protestants are both Christian. They always get lumped into two separate categories. Mm-hmm. It's just the way it works. And then, yeah, and then Protestants have, I mean, not that there's different, not differences They're within different the Catholic cells. side, but <laughs> Protestants have a shit ton of little variances. Oh, yes, yes. It's like a domino effect. So predetermination is God has already selected some people that are going to be saved and some that aren't. Yeah, it's written, bro. And so they hope that they're one of the saved. And, oh, it's really complicated. It's like they try to stay on the faithful path because the saved will stay faithful throughout their lives. Yeah. And any time they fall away, 
they hope that God punishes them with his rightful judgment, rightful wrath, <laughs> to push them back onto the path. Yeah, as opposed to letting them fall because off. yeah, because the truly exactly. But you don't know, and they allude to that a few times in this movie. Is that it's not just that like they're devoting their lives to fucking Jesus. It's they're devoting their lives to Jesus, and they're praying is that like hoping that they won the lottery. It's not even yeah. it's not even adding up to something. Yeah, it's heavy. It's, it's just trying heavy. to prove, like, am I one? Like, if yeah. I keep doing this, th- that ups my chance of being There is one. a lot of, like, really kind of weird self-doubt, you know, where everything you do is kind of like, am I sinning? Am I on the path? Am I off the path? Yeah, it's very antagonizing. And yourself. I think that concept of predetermination can help inform why Thomason partially could make the choice that she does at the end. Mm-hmm. This movie's very ambiguous, and it was made ambiguous on purpose. And I like that. I like the fact of that. There's a lot of different theories on how this movie actually played out. <laughs> yeah, quite a few. But you can take this movie directly for face value. The director himself has said that it could be ergot poisoning. Yeah, which I have read a little bit about, which is a really interesting fact that if you dig into, especially like the Salem Witch Trials... And just that fungus, the the type of fungus that ergot is, starts to make some sense. Yeah, it's what kind of akin to LSD in a way. It is. It's the precursor. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have the like the dimethylamine in it that LSD does. It does have the lysergic acid in it, but it attaches itself to grains. And during this time period, during harvest season, I mean, hello. So there's a lot of alluding to the fact that that could have affected people because some of the side effects are hallucinations, you get nauseous, you vomit, you have convulsions. I mean, it can lead to death in severe cases. So this was a known fact that this was happening during that time period. And there's a lot of allusions to it throughout the movie, too. There's many times that they talk about the fact that their crop is rotting. rotting. Yeah, You see, like, the blackened corn hanging up on the fucking... Yes, you do. It's... If you're paying attention to the details and you hear what they say and you, it kind of spelt out, and if you know a little bit about this stuff, it's like, wow, he's doing a good job. So this movie can truly be interpreted in a number of ways. There's some that the director has sort of also like laughed at. Mm-hmm. It wasn't what his intent was. There's one that says that Thomason was the witch from the get-go. I, I don't buy that. And I think the director sort of acknowledged that it kind of made sense, but his quote was something akin to, like, that it's not a very good story. Like, once upon a time there was a witch. Yeah. Nah. Isn't as good of a story as once upon a time there was a family who encounters a witch. Yeah. I like the direction, you know, I don't know how far we want to get into this, but some of the things that I got out of it were the fact that this family, because of the father... They get put out of a settlement, and they have to live on the outskirts, like so, on the outskirts of a forest as well. And it's rough living, and because of their devotion... Oh, I want to talk one other thing okay, about yeah, their yeah, devotion yeah. that might also tinge. They talk explicitly about this a couple times, but it's also kind of hard to understand through the language they're using. The other Calvinist viewpoint that informs a lot of the choices they make in this movie and a lot of how they view their faith and how heavily it impacts everything, as you see in this movie, is the concept of total depravity. 
which isn't as bad as it sounds. It doesn't mean that everybody is just a monster. What it means is that everyone has free will up to a point. Okay. And it's kind of like, it's more like you're like a a hole that needs to be filled with sin. And so you're going (laughs) to sin in some way. It's just which way are you going to do that? And it's only through like constant devotion to God that you might be able to break yourself from that. But that's only if you're already one of the chosen. Yeah, I see what you mean. There's a lot of technicalities in this. And so anytime you stray into what they consider to be inevitable, that the human form just bends towards sin no matter what, you hope to be sort of smited by God back onto the path. Yeah, it's like like beating back into like righteousness. Oh, I won't say righteousness, but like you said, on the right path. I might be exaggerating that a little bit, but that's kind of the overall gist of it. It is because they feel that if they are sinning in a certain way, you're right, that they need to be punished in a certain way to get them back on the right path. Regardless of whether they don't even know whether they're chosen or not. They're just hoping. Yeah, that's fucking me. I don't know if I could go that way. It's like, well, there are branches there. But you sort of also... But I mean, in the story... I think one of the... Sense, yeah, overall, one of the triumphs of this movie is that in the course of the movie, they immerse you in it so well that you're not really judging them for these superstitious beliefs. You're just understanding how it traps them in this situation. Oh, for sure. Yeah, because... It's not just them who think that way. I mean, there's a whole settlements that think that way. There's a whole culture that thinks that way. Societies think that way in that time period. Uh, you know, if you're put in those circumstances with, like you're saying, that kind of devotion, that kind of faith, man, you're in for some serious shit when something really truly, tragic happens. And in truly that time period, not much else to fall back on. No. You're, I mean, most of this movie is out in that fucking cabin in the woods. <laughs> yeah. And it's... Like, wow harsh stark life with not much hope to hold on to no it's bleak situation and they've already been outcast we mentioned that that's the whole which is then when the super and then when the supernatural starts happening that only reinforces why you would even think that way oh yeah and i like how that whole essence of the supernatural kicks in because it's it's something that's very innocent a game of peekaboo turns into a nightmare and then everything kicks off, you know. But so, mm, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, we're kind of jumping around all over the place. I know. With I, know that I know that I already interrupted a thought that you were going to go off on earlier too. I feel bad about that now because that's okay. Like We've, we're we're both full of ideas. It's uh, okay. But that was one of the things. This movie, I can only describe it mostly as slow burning atmospheric. That's the way it was sort of described to me. Mm-hmm. However, this is a movie that you have. A child abduction and murder within like the first five minutes oh, which is not slow burning in the slightest my first viewing of this was like wait 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 am i watching the right movie <laughs> i know what the fuck I, that is something that i think is it can be unsettling for certain audiences so i can see why that would be a big put off for the what like in the first 10 15 minutes of the film that is like holy shit moment mm-hmm. and it's used for an ointment to let the witch fly yeah I don't know how much I want to else to talk about that, but that's what it's used for. Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna get to, to that. I have, dude. I, wow. I have three pages of notes here that I haven't even. Oh, started I'm okay with that. Yet. But yeah, I mean that's a huge like moment for a lot of audiences. I can really put people off if you're not comfortable with that subject. Mm-hmm. But yeah, 
I mean, honestly, the more I think about this movie, the more I love it, because it's truly... It's horrifying. Firstly, knowing how meticulous the director was in making sure all these details down to the language were correct and in place, and like how hard he had to scout out a location, which was something we didn't really go into, but... No, but... I did read a little bit that they found a place, like a, just a remote place somewhere in Canada. in Canada. Yeah. He wanted to film it on location in New England, but they didn't get the tax, tax breaks enough. they yeah, needed. Exactly. So then he went to Canada thinking, oh, Canada's just a bunch of wilderness, but he couldn't find anything that was right. It yeah. was all like reclaimed wilderness that didn't look quite right. And so he had to like keep getting more and more remote until he was finally like, okay, finally, here's something that like looks... It looks believable. Legit. Great job. I mean, obviously, the language is the thing that stands out as far as meticulousness. Yeah, and that's a really good eye for detail. But that just... I think it proves to me how much most of this movie was done on purpose, Yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah. Which can really be the hallmark of a really good movie and help you latch on to some things. And I thought there was a couple of really neat things that I just wanted to point out that yeah, I noticed no on problem. my viewing, especially if we're going to start in on this movie. <laughs> the movie is actually bookended by mirrored segments. It starts and ends with a shot of Thomason. Yeah. And the first shot, when it opens up on her, there's a voiceover from What's-His-Nuts that we sucked off, the tiny little voice actor. Oh, yeah, I know you're talking about The governor? Yeah. Oh, no, it's her dad that's talking. Yeah, Yeah. because he's talking to the court and the Mm -hmm. governor himself, yes. And the voiceover, as it shows her face looking up, is what did we travel into the wilderness to find? Mm Mm-hmm. And at the very end of the film, by the way, we're in the spoiler section, it's her out in the wilderness having found the Coven of Witches and joined them. <laughs> yes, and that's exactly what they found. There is a, you're right, a, a real interesting contrast on the opening shot of how you see Thomason, where she's just an ordinary, you know, young lady in that time period, you know, nothing unassuming, she's devout. And then at the end of it, she completely devolves from that, which is really interesting, like the contrast. And I like how it's shot, too. Yeah, that's a great point that you make. (laughs) Just even the tone of colors, palette, and things like that. There's a couple things that mirror and allude later on to different events that happen that get, I noticed the second time through, that get set up. Mm -hmm. And you have, skipping ahead a little bit, Thomason scaring the shit and physically attacking Mercy. Yeah mirrors her mom later on it certainly does which is also set up the scene two minutes before it actually happens with her father threatening to dash jonas's head in with a bill hook and he likens it to job how well he job, no he relates it to abraham oh yeah he yeah he relates it to abraham i wrote down it's okay something else wrong. no the mom relates to job which I, I like to point out too mm-hmm. that's why i wrote down job was no because worries. his mom mentioned we job. got this Abraham, which was to please God, sacrifice his son. But instead of directly mirroring it, they flipped it. Oh, they said it went dark. (laughs) Instead of the father dashing the son to please God, it was the daughter dashing the mother to protect herself from the wrath of a supposed God, although it was actually her mother in league with the devil. Yeah, that's fucking crazy. It is a way... An interesting and unique way how the idea, maybe even, of the devil, if you want to put it in that context, is a mirror image. Yeah, can influence the roles of the the individual people in this film, the characters themselves, and how they, you know, they're playing out their crazy, maybe, (laughs) you know? 
But you're right. I like the mirroring aspect of it, too. It's very unique. They foreshadow a lot of events. There's something I caught about foreshadowing, too, was Caleb and his father. There's a lot of allusions to apples in this film, apple trees, which, if we're going to get biblical, goes right back to the Garden of Eden, original sin. And that's kind of why I brought up the total depravity. Total depravity is linked to the concept of original sin and is linked directly into the speech that he has with his father. Oh, yes. It's a big influence because as this movie starts to play out, there's lies and deceit about apples and However, how that gets played out. I want to point... Mm, I don't want to give away I'm, too I'm much. I'm not going to get yeah. there yet. Okay. I'm okay. Not gonna, there, there's something else about the apple I was going to point out. Yeah. I'm not going to get there yet. I'm okay. going to do it. I still have a big, my own big pet theory now that I've watched this movie that I'm going to drop. All right. I wonder, we're gonna, can I say a word and mm-hmm. you, you can nod. You don't even have to say it. Does it have anything to do with Disney? I mean, kind of, but I, I don't think the way you're thinking. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right, that's all I wanted to know. I think it ties in a roundabout way to what you're thinking of. All right. Oh. We'll see. We'll see. Actually, no. All right. uh, we're thinking, I just realized what you're thinking of, and no. Uh, <laughs> all right. But we'll still get there. No worries. But, I mean, that's the neat thing, though. That's still, so this, this movie is completely based on, you were just thinking fucking Snow White, right? Yeah, I certainly was. So this movie is based on folklore. Yeah, and I mean, all of those of the grim tells all of those stories have its roots in other places. And oh so yeah, for I'm. I mean, it goes right back to these biblical senses. Yeah, I'm one hundred percent certain that that's partially where that apple came from with Snow White. I'm one hundred percent certain that that's partially where it came from. <laughs> I'm mean, just thinking about very, like, but in a very roundabout way. Yeah, I'm not saying it's shot for shot by mm-hmm. any extent, but yes, there's maybe some homage mm-hmm. is what I'm thinking more more or less. Well, I mean, there's definitely. It just even the way it's portrayed Throughout this, film. it feels like folklore. Yeah. It feels like somebody telling like a morality tale. It does. It does feel like an old, kind of those weird Hansel and Gretel and, you know, those kind of grim stories. They sound like they're going to be happy endings, but they're really grim. The other sort of theme that I felt was played out in this was questioning of faith. Oh, there was a lot of that, yes. From the get-go... The father, they don't even tell you how, but he's banished because he differs with the church somehow. He doesn't feel like the church, that community, is spreading the gospels the way they should be. And they never but say they don't, what the differences he, are. Yeah, that's that's it. That's the only conclusion that you can draw, maybe perhaps from that speech he gives. And from his own pride, he damns yes, his Yes, and that's the downfall. And that's why they're exiled in the first place. But throughout the movie, the only thing that they have complete faith in, any number of them, is that there's evil in the woods. Oh, they all know that shit. For people whose lives revolve around their religion, all of them had their faith <laughs> shaken to the point where the only thing that they were certain of was the evil. Yeah, and one of the major facts is you your ass doesn't go in those woods. Which... And I thought that was like a weird, very yeah. subtle way of giving the evil the power in the situation. And, yeah, oh yeah. And a way to reinforce the sort of, the talks that happen back and forth. And the, I think one of the greatest ironies of this, and for the family themselves, and the tragedy, is that their devotion and their, almost their questioning their own faith, you know, at times, it's inviting other things in as opposed to them wanting the other result. Well, I think that ties into another thing that is a bit of a theme in this movie, and it's commentary on 
families breaking down because of a lack of trust. If they had trusted each other and if they had been willing to talk out any of their actions rather than waiting for them to get found out, it never would have escalated to the point where the influence would have been there. Yeah, there's a lot of deceit, a lot of using, yeah, using these plays on other people's emotions to either gain or, or you know, benefit from their own predicament, which that's unique. I don't know how much I want to talk about that, but the father has a huge part in that for the lies and deceit and his pride. I mean, there's a huge saying, too, if you believe in that, the pride comes before the fall. So, you know, that's a huge allusion to that statement as well. Now, there was something I had to make a giant note about, given everything else about this movie, and this partially to lighten it back up a little bit. I know, man. This movie gets kind of serious, but... I like it. The one thing I didn't get, hardcore Puritan family, how the fuck were none of them shutting down the creepy-ass nursery rhymes? Oh, damn. Those kids were thrown out? Yeah. Dude. What the out? actual fuck? <laughs> yeah, they were saying some crazy shit. Yeah. And I mean... Black Phillip tells us what to do. He's like the king of the fucking land. Yeah, crown upon his head. Yeah, they're like, come on, man. Are you not come, hearing what these kids are he, saying? They're singing about your black goat, which, I mean, come on, fucking Satan, Satan. Like, <laughs> the devil. Yeah, dude, Baphomet. I don't understand how it took so long in this movie for Black Phillip to get sort of pointed out. Like, It took a little while, didn't it? Like, there was 20 minutes, maybe a little bit over 20 minutes left in the movie before Thomason points out to her father, like, uh, by the way, the fucking twins have been talking with the goddamn goat. Yeah, and <laughs> even the mother was saying, I don't want to give too much away, the mother was talking about even the devil, quote scriptures, and yada yada, but <laughs> it's all that stuff is leading up to that fact. She even says a certain thing. She says something about even he, referring to the devil, comes in the form of a he-beast, meaning the goat. Mm-hmm. Black Philip, come on. So yeah, she spells it out for dad, and he doesn't like that shit. But <laughs> it's also his demise. <laughs> yeah, Jesus, I felt like this is one thing. Maybe I want to point out a little bit that little bit of insight. The wolf references make sense with like witches and Satan and witchcraft. Oh yes. The raven later on makes sense. The rabbit might not make as much sense to people. No, I think that ties more into, like, the New England, maybe, folktelling? Well, first off, if you think about it, rabbits do tie into witchcraft because you have, like, the lucky rabbit's foot. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, it's not just any foot of a rabbit that's lucky. In most of the older sources, there's more that you had to do to it. If I remember right, it's, like, left hind foot of a rabbit caught in a cemetery on a full moon. Damn. Got him. Bam. <laughs> but beyond that, in the Middle Ages... And throughout into these times, rabbits were used as a sign of cowardice. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the times that the rabbit is used in this movie, it's almost like mocking them. It is. It really is. And it's even like medieval manuscripts. You have like knights that were like disgraced because of cowardice might be drawn like fleeing from a rabbit, which of course would (laughs) then be the inspiration for Monty Python. That's awesome. Yeah. With the killer rabbit. That's pretty awesome. This might be a stretch a little bit, but even, you know, you're saying the mocking part, too. You can think of, in a weird way, like, even the tale of the tortoise and the hare. The hare is so prideful, but it, it always loses. But in this way, like I said, it's, a, it's also a different weird mirroring of that is what I'm getting at. It's like, there's a lot of pride in certain people in the family, and that's the mocking part is what I'm getting at. But 
you're right. Even the use of uh, the animals is a huge thing. If you, in witchcraft, in Satanism, and stuff like that, it's holy shit. So, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, one other possibly really disturbing thing about this movie. Okay. God damn it! I can't believe I'm about to say this. Now go for it, man. I think this might be the only movie in which I've seen like a nine-year-old's O face. <laughs> oh, that is so funny, dude. It is. I, I think you're right. Um, and it's in a fucking really weird way, too. It's not like... It's not in the traditional sense is what I'm getting at. No. It's in this weird religious, religious fervor. Yeah. Holy cow. I like Which it. Which might be fake religious ecstasy to mock his parents if it was the devil causing it. I believe that's maybe... Because it's ambiguous. It's up in the air at that point in the movie. It really is. You don't know if he's exalting in, or in the exuberance of maybe seeing his savior or mocking the parents, especially the fucking mom. <laughs> mocking them specifically by essentially having an orgasm while claiming to see the savior. Holy cow, man. And it's, for me, I thought it, it lent more to the mom and the fact that she told the story to, I believe it was Thomas. No, it was actually to the father where she's like, she at Thomason's age, love Christ so much that she felt like she'd never have a love like that ever again. Well, her son had <laughs> that played out in front of her. Yeah. Here's the thing. I, <laughs> oh, shit. So, another tenet of Calvinism, the only <sighs> way that you can truly know God is through the Bible and that it will speak to believers through its verses and such. Mm-hmm. I think these motherfuckers have been reading Song of Solomon a little bit too literally. <laughs> That's funny. That's dude. A, that's a deep cut Bible reference for y'all. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we talked about something. Someone wanted to point out too is uh, we talked about Job a little bit, and the mom she makes a reference to that about. Uh, I can't remember exactly how she uses the reference, but she does. She's like she feels like she's almost Job's wife, and I'm like, well, what does she mean by that? So I looked it up a little bit. I know the story of Job. Mm-hmm. You know, like where Job is so devout that no matter what. God does or takes away from him, he'll be devout no matter what. And the, the wife calls her husband into doubt. She's like, why are you still so devout? And there's, I heard there's like kind of a mistranslation, she says. She says something to the effect to either curse or bless God and die, right? And then you kind of never hear from her again after that. And of course, after Job's story plays out, everything comes back to him and he gets good fortune, yada, yada doesn't really play out this way. I want you to stick a pin in that story, because there's a portion of the Job story that, when I get to my big own okay. pet theory, that I want to reference back yeah, to. Yeah, like I said, there's a lot of biblical allegory in this. I mean, there's a lot of allegory. And I might even stop for a second just to make sure that I'm on point with that, okay. but I think it actually helps play into my own little pet theory on this. I'm down. The fact that she... Oh, man. Oh, that's kind of fucked up. I hadn't thought of that part before. I remember the Job story. However, there's one other really big ambiguous thing I kind of wanted to ask. Yeah. Did you feel like it was a happy ending? I kind of felt like it was a happy ending. I felt like for a certain individual, it was a super happy ending. Like, fucking finally. Yeah. By the end, I mean, at the end of this movie, Thomason is truly free from the fucking just repressive shackles of the society that she's in. Yeah, you know, and that's a. I'm glad that you brought that point out because during that time period, women in general, 
especially in this form of Puritanism, they were very submissive to men. This is a very patriarchal society they were living in. So it was no wonder that most, if not all, of the family, I think with the exception of maybe Caleb, were accusing of her being a witch from the get-go. Well, I mean, witch folklore is a type of folklore that sort of grew up in this patriarchal society. These crazy women who dared to live outside the norm yeah. the norm and do what they wanted and it was always sort of a really shitty way of encoding into kids like oh. of being aware of powerful women yeah exactly you know may i might, I might be reaching to again but i think in a certain light this could also be written or maybe even viewed as kind of a, a woman maybe a young woman's liberation story too Oh, absolutely. I absolutely feel like this can be viewed as a young woman's liberation story. That's kind of why, at the end of this movie, I was like, oh, that's a fucking brilliant ending. Like, yeah. this is a happy ending for me. This Which is speaks not... volumes, even in today's society. So, if that's <coughs> maybe some, a direction he was going in, kudos. All right, so this is fucked up. I'm okay with fucked up. You know I like you fucked up. You ready for this? Yeah, hell yeah. I wanna, I'm, I'm hoping this makes sense. I'm hoping you end up not having to just, like, cut it from the episode. because I'm No, fuck that, man. I'll help you out with this. <laughs> this is one of the ones where I don't think the director necessarily intended this. Okay. The writer-director. But, as we just touched upon, like, which stories have always been kind of about women living outside the means and finding themselves and a way of, like, repressing their sexuality, even. Yeah. Which is something that also, through their Puritanism, is sort of touched on in this and in a couple Ooh. of their other stories. So one of the interpretations of this movie is that the entire time, Thomason is the killer. She's alone with Samuel when he I, goes missing. I understand that completely. I can see that, yeah. She's alone with Caleb when all the shit happens to him. Including a, being the, the one to find moment. him alone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's alone with the kids chained up outside, and then alone with the father directly after that. Yeah, you know, <laughs> actually that's an interesting take because all of that's true. All of that's true. And it's hinted, I feel like when she's fucking with Mercy, it's hinted that she might be the one that's under the influence and not them. Because it's sort of, it's kind of like the thing, that? The, the blame sort yeah. of gets shifted around. I like, like how you say that. Okay, since we're at that mm-hmm. slant, that this angle, okay... We talked about the opening scene, and one of the first things you see with her, too, is she is already kind of questioning her her faith and the fact that they have to go in the wilderness. There's a part of her that's already rebelling, in a sense, that she wants to stay in that settlement, and she's always reflecting on kind of like the past a little bit and the luxuries that her brother doesn't recognize because she asked him about a window pane in particular. Mm-hmm. So, all right. What I'm getting at is she has a prayer she does, and in that prayer, she's confessing all her sins. She's breaking commandments, the Sabbath. She's pl- so she's pointing out all of her mistakes, I but she's out, also inviting in Satan, what I'm getting at. It's also a very brilliant scene in that it both establishes, it establishes all of that, and she confesses having broke all of the commandments in her mind. In her mind, yeah, in her thoughts. Exactly. So you don't know if she's having these schizoid moments and... Well, so that would be even, like, coveting thy neighbor's wife. She's been having sexual thoughts. She's been having greedy thoughts. Lust. She's been having killing thoughts. She's 
had thoughts of worshiping false idols and taking the Lord's name in vain. Yeah. I mean, that all applies. She says she's disobeyed her parents, which, you know, it's... She's it could had be, murderous yeah. thoughts. I um, can see this. I don't know how much I believe it, but I can see this. But it also sets up the kind of repressiveness she's dealing with. Yes. Because she played on the Sabbath. She didn't work on the Sabbath. Yeah, she, she just played. had a little bit of fun. Yeah. And she's having to confess that as a sin. That's some heavy shit a young person, you know, whether male or female, but in this particular case, because of the time period as well established with it, this is a heavy burden on this young lady. So if you take it that she's the killer and that you're not quite seeing things as they truly are, I kind of feel like this movie might be telling the tale of a cycle of sexual abuse. Mm. Okay. I can see where this is going to because I'll include this. There is, we didn't mention this in the warning because I don't know how much you want to read into this, but there's some undertones of incestuous kind of adoration amongst mm-hmm. the siblings, is what I'll say. So I can see maybe that's like a hand-me-down thing maybe in the family. Who knows? But I can um, see maybe that slant. I feel like Samuel is actually hers. Oh, damn. With her father's. <laughs> okay. And something the mother has agreed to keep under the rug and is what causes all the tension. In the beginning? Because she's, she's obviously, throughout the movie, the least favorite of the mothers. Yeah. Mother doesn't like her at all. From the get-go. <laughs> it's weird. <laughs> I mean, this is an interesting take. I mean, I'll give you that. So, I don't necessarily think she's the witch, especially because there's shown to be multiple witches. Mm-hmm. But if she has something to do with the deaths and something to do with samuel's death in particular especially because she's the only one alone with i mean uh, and this would have to be your buying that she's responsible for the deaths in some way if you think about the extremely the interpretation you can have of what happened with samuel being the blood of an unbaptized infant being used (laughs) to lube a phallic device to fly and gain powers yeah dude (laughs) damn yeah into a big full moon i mean that's some pretty suggestive imagery it is it really is because that's exactly what happened is she greased up a fucking stick with the blood of an infant (laughs) dang (laughs) i mean to literally ride it yeah into the night (laughs) to rise in some sort of power yeah and to embrace her sexuality is really the thing because that's what witch stories are always about yeah wow and then let me see I gotta... I give us Hocus Pocus a whole new meaning. (laughs) (laughs) Then all the references that they make from then on in the movie to Mother's Silver Cup Mm -hmm. isn't about Mother's Silver Cup. It's all about sex. I feel like Mother now thinks that she has a suspicion that because she already had her husband's kid, she's now starting to fuck around. Especially with Caleb. (laughs) Because she's seen the looks that Caleb's giving her. Caleb's got his own problems, though. What mom doesn't realize is that that's not her... That's not part of her deal. That's Caleb's own deal, being raised in this fucking household. I'll point out two things really quick, and not to break your concentration. Mm -hmm. But there are two things that the parents say to her later on in the film. One calls her a whore, one calls her a bitch. Yep. She, however, there's a lot of tension... Because mom herself is a hypocrite. Because dad and mom are in on it together that mom whored herself out for the money to pay for those traps. Oof. Damn. 
That's the actual secret that dad is keeping. There's a lot of secrets in this family. <laughs> Even though she's condemning her daughter for doing it, mom then brings up, literally a few scenes later, right. turning her out, basically. Yeah, the other families. She brings it up in the context of she needs to be wet off, but if you're going with the silver cup equals sex and yeah. this and that, and it's all subtext, Damn. she's basically saying her sex needs to be useful somehow. Mm-hmm. I might have to look this up, but wasn't one of the things Job was willing to do was turn out his daughters? You know, if I'm not mistaken, I believe you are absolutely right. To the right. neighbors? Yeah. It's like, Which don't mom rape references. Me. Was it something like that? Or don't rape these angels? Why do I feel like Job's wife? Was Job hanging out with angels and the people were trying to fuck the angels? And he's like, no, you can have my daughters instead. Yep. It's, damn. I think we need to pause and <laughs> verify this. Because <laughs> I think I know this story, too. And the lines that they use when they're talking about the silver cup in the first scene and stuff, uh-huh. they all sound like references to masturbation. Huh. It's like, I caught you trifling with it before. <laughs> yeah. Damn. And I feel like Samuel might not have ever lived, is the thing. I feel like Samuel might have been an abortion. Huh. In this theory of this is all actually about... Yeah, I mean, if we're following this, of, yeah. I see uh, you're saying. cycle of sexual abuse. Okay. Because here's the other thing. Rabbits, other than being used for cowardice, in pagan traditions, are also a sign of fertility. And you also have, yeah, as you already point. mentioned, the cycle, the fact that Hold on. Caleb is having an ancestral thing for his sister. I wonder... Hold on. There is something unique. I, I think <laughs> this kind of maybe gives it more credence, too. Mm-hmm. There's a scene... I'll, I don't know if you have this written down or if you're going to point this out, but there's a scene where she reaches into the chicken's nest or the coop. She pulls out an egg, and when it drops, there's a stillborn in it. Yes. Huh. And then I was wondering why... What, but I think it was the father's. That's Samuel. That would make sense if you're going on this bent. Yeah. Like, wow. That would make total That's sense. That's why the parents won't talk about it, even, even though the Caleb kids talks know about, about it. He's like, it's been a week. Why won't you... Huh. And the kids... We already know the kids can hear the conversations from upstairs. So it would make sense if the parents are having these types of conversations, they would know the secret. Everybody's keeping a secret in this family. Caleb is starting to have a thing for his sister. Yeah, that's what I'm getting at. Like, it's a hand-me-down kind of thing that he learned. It's a learned behavior. And there's that weird scene with him, with his sister, Mm -hmm. on the riverbank. He's turned into cop of feel when he's play tickling her. I was thinking it doesn't just turn into a tickle fight for no reason. I know but he gets cock blocked by Satan. Yeah, he does. <laughs> In the form of his little sister. <laughs> so you mentioned learned behavior. Right. I mean, you took the words out of my mouth because on the hunt was when dad tells Caleb about what actually happened with the silver cup. Yes, he does. And if silver cup equals sexy time things... That means oh, he whored his mom out. Dad told Caleb the secret that he whored his mom out for those things. And Caleb learns that it's okay to grasp and use women's sexuality in that way. And it's only after he hears that and then they hear that they plan on whoring her out. Huh. <laughs> God damn. <laughs> that he decides he has a crush on his sister. She's his. He doesn't want her going off to these other places. You're right. So that's when he decides he needs to step up, especially because his man in the family. Especially because his father hasn't been. Yeah, 
his dad's pretty much been reduced to somebody just chopping wood. Which, also, I want to point out... That I, I think that's a metaphor, man. I think the chopping wood is a metaphor for him getting up on the daughter. I mean, I understand, too, that, like, it's a form of masculinity, you know, and that's a sense of pride as well. So, maybe he's also... I honestly think that every time he goes to chop wood is him going and reoffending in some way. Yeah. Because, and I, it And it's also in, maybe a way, too, like, his way of dealing with that kind of sin, like... It's the only masculine thing he feels he can do. Yeah, exactly, without being diminished. <laughs> God damn. And he's he gets called out. and he's splitting into something that I mean, he's using a very long phallic object to split into something forcefully. <laughs> yeah. Letting he's work. parting it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like if we're going on this bit, all this makes sense. I think that ties in later on. So Caleb and Thomason go off together. And they're both dealing with their own things. And something goes wrong there. I don't know exactly like how this fits into my entire okay. theory. And how it all we'll works out it. that he's gone for a while and then comes back later. Yeah. But I feel like his performance and his lines past that point in the movie are pretty evident that his encounter with the witch involves some sort of molestation. Oh, I'm sure he had his butthole tickled a few times. Sorry, but <laughs> that's my slant. And for the only way this works is if Thomason is somehow responsible. I'm not necessarily saying she's the witch, right, but she's right. somehow responsible. They're both dealing with their own things. I think that ties in with her mom calling her a slut later, yeah. and the fact that she's been abused all this time herself, presumably. I mean, it's a huge possibility. Because of that patriarchal society we we're talking about, too. The woman's her submissiveness to her husband, and to men in general. And they end up with that scene where they're together in the woods. Okay. And Caleb is feeling like he has to be the man of the house. And is feeling like he has to protect the woman that he lusts after, who's his own sister. And so he's trudging along with a way oversized from phallic object. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, he is. He don't know how to lug that thing around. She's trying to tell him about their time back home. Yeah. And he's unable to remember something, which is, if we're talking about sexual abuse, that could be his repressed memories. It was glass in the window, which is something that should be clear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something that should be clear isn't there for him. Yeah. For her, it's crystal. That's kind of interesting. And right after he denies being able to remember that, they run into the rabbit. Yep. Once again, in a mocking way, I suppose. Which... Both cowardice as an inability to confront it, yep. and as a sign of fertility of him dealing with his lust. Yeah. <laughs> Which, you know, it gets carried out, of course, in the end. All of that stuff gets played out for him. How he encounters the young woman we talked about earlier, that Victoria's Secret fashion model. I mean, not that I know anything about that, but. Later on, there is a moment where a few scenes where mom actually isn't pissed at Thomason. Right, right. There is some favor. And it's after Dad confesses what happened with the silver cup. Yep. Which is him laying it out on the table, putting the... So obviously, she's pissed at him and not at her. But now it's because the little kids know. Because they were in the room when it happened. Yeah. Everyone else kind of knew already. Well, Thomason wouldn't have known. No, not And so now Thomason knows how big of a hypocrite Mom's being. So now Mom's like, okay, I, I gotta be nice. What I wrote down during but that But Thomason segment, is still the only one to go comfort Dad. Yeah, I wrote down that it was a 
daughter's pride and a father's shame. So I don't know if I was aware of the fact that I didn't know what I was writing, like intentionally. Mm -hmm. I, I maybe interpreted it a different way, but I can see how that's interpreted this way too. Until Caleb reappears, who once again, Thomason alone finds him, which the Caleb thing's kind of weird, and I don't know how it fits into all of this, but it's kind of, I feel the fact that he was definitely molested sort of fits into this whole framework somehow. Yeah, there's something I wanted to point out with him too, because he preys upon it heavily, is the fact that I don't think that he was baptized either. So him showing back up, right? obviously molested, I don't know how him dying fits in. That I'll just attribute to the fucking witch. Yeah. But that reconfirms mom's suspicions that Thompson was already fucking around with Caleb, which now throws her entire story into doubt. Yeah. And so now she catches on to the fact that dad and Thomason are screwing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Except she doesn't realize that that's not on Thomason. Yeah. She's victim blaming. I know what you're saying, yeah. Especially because after the confrontation, Thomason was the only one to go comfort her father. And then later on, when the father confronts Thomason outside, the first way he starts off, the way he's describing what he wanted to do with the farm, didn't sound like he was talking about them as a family. It sounded like he was talking about what the plans he had, what he'd do the farm with them as a couple. Uh, yeah, it was like he was trying to get her to see the big picture that he had for her. This'll be the apple tree and this. Yeah, it was weird. I was wondering. I mean, I understood that he was trying to sell her an idea like this is what he had in mind, but not to this extent. And she just sort of calls him on his shit, which I think could maybe be a reference back again to the baby. Yeah. If you're looking at this all as a giant analogy. But goddamn. <laughs> I mean, that is really an interesting point of view. God damn. And so everybody's under suspicion. Fucking everybody kind of hates everybody. Mm-hmm. Caleb dies. Dad locks the Thomas kids up. away. Yeah. All the kids up. The rest of the kids, yeah. Who knows actually what happens to the twins. Yeah, Theoretically, we... they're in that cauldron at the end on the fire. Yeah, you would imagine, yeah. That's how they're all flying because we already saw that. Yeah, and there's going to need more than one. I would imagine. Yeah, for all those witches. Yeah. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Sorry. You have dad mom burying Caleb, Caleb, and mom crawls down into... Now, we know from back when we covered Rise of Leslie Vernon and stuff that these tight, closed-in spaces, womb imagery, you have mom covering her dead son. It's the death of her womb. She's closing herself off to her husband. Yeah. She's like, I don't trust you anymore. (sighs) I think... I'm pretty sure, like, this is what... I don't think what the kid in the beginning, Samuel. Samuel was ever alive. I think it was an abortion forced by the father that mom was iffy on. She didn't quite know. And that's part of the reason she wouldn't talk about it. She puts it all together. That's why she doesn't trust the father anymore. She's put it all together. This is the death of her womb. She's closed herself off to him. So it cuts to the very next scene where he's outside splitting wood. Yep. Even though all the kids are out there... Only Thomason is watching. She's the only witness. And if the splitting the wood is... That's like a huge metaphor. Is the metaphor for the molestation. Then he's in the middle of the molestation as he has his breakdown moment of feeling guilty for having been the one to reap this upon everyone. He even has a single line quote. He says corruption. That's the downfall. At least in his sense. What corruption exactly? (laughs) 
And she's forced away from him, locked inside her own mind, which unfortunately, Mm. in her own mind, is the killer. And that's where the kids are also stored. (laughs) Damn, goddamn. If she's playing out this weird fantasy in her mind, right, as a killer, those kids probably are in the barn, or in that enclosement. And she's just using that witch metaphor as a part of that allegory to fit into these other events happening and playing. That's fucking weird. That's and awesome. And then Black Phillip inviting her to live deliciously sounds yeah. nothing if not sexual. Yes. And her embracing her sexuality and her It own is like power earthly and delights and, yeah. Wow, man. I didn't know we were going to get off on that. Man, that's a really unique theory, man. It's Bam. hard to... It's hard to I had a lot to fucking say on it's this. It's hard to argue with that, too. <laughs> you know, it depends on how much you want to read into that angle, but it makes sense if you do go along that path. There and are it moments. Can be read that way. It's yeah, a fucked up thing. I understand that, and it's not that I want to put my signature on it per se, but I can understand that argument totally. You know, well, I can respect that argument. I didn't really necessarily see it that way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's the only thing I have about that. But I understand the argument once again. I read it more as family dealing with, like I said, with a lot of guilt and doubt, and. Because of their doubts and, you know, their questioning of their faith and stuff like that, they were also inviting in evil unbeknownst to them. I, as much detail as went into that, I don't think it was the director's intention. Right, right. I think that's a side effect of the themes that he was playing with. Yeah. They can invoke a number of things in the way that he put them together. I think one thing that you mentioned on films that we really enjoy, and this is definitely one of them, is that it makes you think more than maybe what's really its intention. But you can also glean a lot of things, too. How much you want to read into it's one thing, but regardless, you can learn some valuable information. And I think it maybe helps you be better equipped for future films, or maybe even films that you haven't seen that have been around for a while, to understand those concepts. This one really opened my mind to that concept, for sure. I didn't think about that while watching it, though. I don't know. I probably contradicted myself a couple times too, but but I think it's okay, man. Draft. It's it's still understandable, man, and I like that. That was kind of it's really awesome, man. That's why I love this movie because it made me think. It does. It really does. It made and me find themes. I mean, we talk about all sorts of themes. Yeah. through this movie, and, and this one ha- plays with a lot of really cool themes. I like so we definitely like films that deal with Same. devil, <laughs> devil. Same. You know, I think the last time we talked about the devil, perhaps was was it the devil rides out? It was that or Baskin. Yeah, one of the two. But <laughs> the way that we see that when the devil rides out is completely different than, than this goddamn. Oh, um. <laughs> Too different. And just a little note about Charlie. Yes, yes. Black Phillip. Apparently, he just liked laying in the sun and getting belly rubs. I mean, I can see that. He did a good job. All uh, the animals apparently were well behaved. Mm-hmm. It's just really cool. So, that's kind of adorable, actually. I think it's awesome. <laughs> That goat is actually an angel. That goat's got devil eyes. Yes, he might have devil eyes, but he's an angel. <laughs> he's our angel. <laughs> uh, I just talked a shit ton about this movie. I don't know what else I can say. No, so. I mean, I'll put it this way. To give my little bent, and I'm not going to go into a rant, but the thing I like about this is, like we said, it's atmospheric. The score really ratchets up the moments of tension and fear and dread. I like the use of also non-audio cues in this film. There are mm-hmm. moments where things go silent, and I think that's even more inviting to maybe certain fears. 
I like its use of allegory. I like its use of metaphors. If you're familiar with New England history, witchcraft, witch trials, I think you're really going to enjoy this film. I think a lot of people can enjoy this movie. Jesus. Just don't think it's something it's not when you're going into it. Yeah. You're, it's not going to be a thrill a minute. It's going to be weird shit kind of just setting you at unease for most of the time and making you think. And It it's, does. It's a, but it's then a, also Satan. Then the devil. <laughs> Which is like, mm, yes. Don't want to say too much about that, but yes, it's awesome, man. I think we're both kind of in, in agreement that we kind of want to get Black Phillip up on the wall somewhere. Oh, that, I think that might be one of our many mascots. Yeah, I, I fucking dig me some Black Phillip Dude, right yes. Now. So what I want to say with that is, once again, thank you, Michelle. Great recommendation. I highly recommend this to any movie buff or horror oh, fan in general. I wish I would have said this at the beginning, but if you want to watch this, this okay. movie is available on Amazon Prime. So if you yes, have Prime, is. you can watch it. Yes, which is a really awesome way to view films. They've got a really cool collection, this being one of them. I'm just really happy we finally got to this film. Go watch this movie. Next week, we... Oh, God, I hope this works. We might end up having to switch something last minute, but I already let the guy know. Everything looks like it's going to be in order. We're hopefully going to have a guest in. We're going to try out a new segment. It's going to be a lot of fun if it pans out. I hope it's going to be as fun as it, I think it's going to be. In I think it I will hope be. it's as fun to listen to at the end of it yeah. as it seems like it's going to be in our mind right now. We're going to give you the first ever Fried Squirms Test Your Fright. <laughs> yes. Where we bring in one of our buddies who aren't as accustomed to the more extreme end of horror movies as we are. Right. And we're going to sit them down in front of one of them. And first off, see if they make it all the way through. Yes, I think that's going to be one of the exciting parts. But then at the end, get the true gut reaction, the hot take from the uninitiated on something that is a little bit less in the mainstream and a little bit more towards kind of the shit that we like to give you once a month at least. Like I said, I like the fact that we're going to use somebody that, you know, we're close with, but also they don't know how depraved we can be. Oh, I think I, I think this first one has kind of an idea. We're going to do this at least three times, by the way. So if you hate it the first time, I'm sorry, because it's, it's already planned. Yeah, exactly. Um, we get three strikes just like any other batter. Number three, I think, is going to have to be our most of a dry run. Because these first two, we are stepping our toes in the water first a little bit. Yeah, we can't go right in the deep end. What we have planned for them is going to be a little bit beyond their norm. So Yeah, I think that's going to be a, a really good way to get this segment incorporated into our show. So in order to listen to that, please hit the subscribe button, however you're listening to us right now, whether it be on iTunes or SoundCloud or whatever. That'll just make sure that you get our shit when it drops and it helps us out. And especially, like, it'd be awesome if people would go, like, rate us or review us on these platforms. Yeah, let us know what you think of us. I don't want to beg too much, but that'd be awesome. We ain't too proud to beg. Apparently that shit actually does matter a lot more than people kind of think. So No, we like feedback, and you know whether it's negative, positive, we like feedback regardless. Just let us know what you think, and if you have recommendations, throw that in too. And you can follow us on Facebook, Fried Squirms, at Fried Squirms on the Twitter, Fried Squirms Podcast, Podcast. on Instagram. And you can email us, squirmcast at gmail.com. Can Love to hear from you, any of you. Yeah, you can even you. use our website. The one thing I'm really glad is we still haven't gotten any hate mail. I mean, the day will come. The day <laughs> will okay. come. But so far, you all have been really nice whenever we have heard from anybody. Yeah. So. We try to treat our audience well, because you guys treat us well. But with that, fried squirms. Out. 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 <laughs>